Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America Podcast. Draft podcast today. It's draft day. So, of course, we're going to podcast J.J. Cooper, joined by Teddy Cahill. And we're going to talk some of the latest rumors. We're going to talk about our newest mock draft. We're going to talk about some of our favorites that we uh, are kind of ex- very interested to see where they go in the uh, in the first round tonight. But before we do that, we do want to remind you it is a great time to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com. If you go to BaseballAmerica.com right now, you'll see the little offer. It'll pop up right to you, which is that right now if you subscribe, you get an extra month for free. Great time to do that is you get all our draft coverage. We have 500-plus scouting reports coming into the draft uh, for pretty much everyone, hopefully, who will be taken in the top 10 rounds and beyond. We'll fill that out. Beyond that, we'll have scouting reports on many of the guys who go later than the 10th round. And beyond that, we also, it's it's July 2's coming up. You get all of Ben Badler's extensive July 2 coverage. is going to tell you all the names that you need to know on the international signings. You get all the Cuba reports with that as well. And also midseason prospect updates coming up. We're not even going to get a chance to talk about this today. We'll talk about it in another podcast. But uh, Carlos Correa is up. It's going to make it for a very interesting midseason prospect update meetings. Uh, you know, when we have to figure out who's the number one prospect left in the minors. But that's all at BaseballAmerica.com. Also, obviously, in Baseball America, the magazine. But today we're here to talk draft. And so, Teddy, we've all been working the phones late nights. A lot of late nights, right, lately. A lot of early mornings. Yes. Um, I think we'll all, the, the thing I like to put about it is, is the great thing about the draft is it's going to happen Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whether we're ready or not. And then on Thursday, I'll wake up and it'll be done. And that's a good thing in some ways because I, I, I would, it would crush me right now if they said, oh, by the way, we're extending it. It's going to be a week from now. That would, I, I, I'm, I've geared up my energy for the next three days. But lots going on. I'll kind of just ask you, so what are some of the latest things we're hearing? As, and you can go to BaseballAmerica.com right now and read Mock Draft 5.1. If you're listening to this later in the day, you might be reading Mock Draft 5.2. But, so what are we hearing, Teddy? Well, I think uh, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of speculation still floating out there. Um, you know, with these first five teams, or first five picks, you've got four teams, the Diamondbacks, the Astros, the Rockies, and the Rangers. And uh, a few of those teams are, are very tight-lipped notoriously, uh, and especially so this year. You know, the Diamondbacks uh, said this weekend that they had made their picks, that they finalized the decision, but they've told five players that they might be it. They haven't even told the player yet, and uh, that's a little that's a little rare. Oftentimes, <laughs> uh, you know, the team at least tells the pick and maybe tells other teams so that they can prepare their board accordingly. Let me ask you this: Do you think this is a offshoot of the new CBA system? Or is this an offshoot of that we've had the Astros picking number one the last two years, and the Astros, the Astros have told no one. I mean, basically, it is something where literally ten minutes before the broadcast starts at six fifty, it does appear that no one outside of the Astros, you know, front office knows. And do you think it's because of the new system, or do you think that the Astros thing has become a little bit more of a a new way of doing this, where it used to be, yeah, we everyone kind of knew who was going to be the first pick. I think it might be a little bit of that. Now, the Astros are the only ones that have picked first under the new CBA, so uh, <laughs> it's it's difficult to know, you know, wh- which one of those things is it might be the determining factor. It also, this year, just might be a matter of, um, you know, it's been so unsettled. Like, I remember the Nationals saying both years that they picked first well in advance of the draft that they were going to draft Strasburg and then Harper. Well, there's no Strasburg and there's no Harper this year. So... Those years it was easy. If they didn't, right. it was, if they just said we're not drafting Strasburg, everyone would have started, you know, national fans would have started throwing things. Exactly. You know, and the Astros, they never said they'd made up their mind in advance of draft day. You know, whether they had or not, they never said that they well, had. Because they were looking for, and part of that was is they were looking for deals. Whereas we have the Diamondbacks saying that they have made up their mind, but they're still not going to tell anyone. So, you know, I don't know. The Diamondbacks have been very, uh, very coy this whole spring. Um, you know, more so than normal. 
you know, maybe this is a, you know, a factor of the new regime there. You know, there's a lot of guys there that you know, have done this before, but, you know, are in new positions now or haven't done it in a while. Uh, you know, and so maybe it's probably a lot of those factors, but maybe this is the, the new world order and that we're never, at least under this CBA, never going to know who the number one pick is, you know, more than a few minutes before the picking actually starts. Which is interesting because I, unless you are working out a deal, you know, unless you are basically trying to the last minute to see what is the, what is the lowest number we can get the best player for, if not for that, and again, we haven't, now admittedly, as you just pointed out, we haven't had a draft since this where there's one guy who's so run away with it that it's obvious to everyone who the likely number one pick is. But if there's not for that deal, then I, again, there's not really a, an advantage you gain by holding on, you know, by this, this is something where in the NFL we usually know who's going to be going 1 1. In the NBA, we got, because again, it, it, but there is something now about the, the lower number you can get that, because the first, the number one pick is not going to get the slot allotment. The lower you can get that number down to, the, uh, obviously, the, the more money you have to spend elsewhere. Now, in our latest mock, we've got Dansby Swanson going to the, uh, Diamondbacks at 1-1, at, at which I, I think we are, we're not certain on by any stretch, but we're reasonably certain that, that seems like the most likely option right now as we, record this 10 a.m. on Monday morning. I did want to bring up, in our previous mock, John had, John Manuel for us had Tyler Stevenson going 1-1, which the rumors on that are very much, when we talk about deals, the rumors, Tyler Stevenson goes 1-1, first round talent, but no one thinks that he's the number one talent in this draft. That would very much be cutting a deal and, and doing that. The, the thought exercise I wanted, because I have a podcast, we get a chance to do a little dive into these things a little deeper. If they did that, again, we don't think right now they're going to, but if they did that, and let's say that you could get Stevenson for four mil or more less than slot allotment, because slot allotment's over eight mil. Tyler, Tyler Stevenson gets a four million dollar deal. Tyler Stevenson had a very good draft. That's not, oh, how did he settle for that or anything like that. Tyler Stevenson gets four million. Tyler Stevenson and his agent, his advisor, excuse me, his advisor did very well. But if the, again, if this alternate world scenario happened, is there, if a team saved four million, is there four million in talent that they would still have available, even with extra picks? Well, so the Diamondbacks, um, you know, while we're talking about them being coy, the only, the only advantage to them being coy that I can think of is, what if they're trying to float somebody to pick 43 where mm -hmm. their next pick is at the top of the second round? Explain and, floating to someone who's a little more casual fan of this. Yeah, so uh, the idea would be that they kind of have an agreement worked out with, with the player that it's going to be too expensive for anyone picking. You know, It would be a player that, that would probably fit in the back end of the first round, but the Diamondbacks in this scenario or another team trying to float a player uh, would pay would agree to pay them more than any team at the back end of the first round reasonably could, and thus you know they, when a team called them and asked would you sign for X, it, they would say no, and the team would pass on them and move on down their board, right. and then that player would float to your next pick. This used to be under the old system. This would be known as the Yankees slash Tigers plan in many years. Right. So if the, if the Diamondbacks were actually trying to float a player, let's say a college shortstop, and they said that they were going to take, let's say, Tyler Stevenson, that might broadcast a little bit more of their plans than they'd like to because presumably if they're trying to float a college shortstop, they would not then take Dansby Swanson at the top of the draft. So how do they spend their money if they were to take Tyler Stevenson? Well, you know, I, I don't know. Um, there are injured pitchers to be had. Nobody knows what uh, guys like Kobe Allard and Brady Aiken are asking for. Uh, so maybe they could spend some money that way. Uh, but beyond that, I, I don't know. I mean, they're not gonna—they're not gonna blow their—they're not gonna get two number one picks out of this. You know, it, it wouldn't seem like they don't pick again until forty-three. That's a long time right. to have to wait again. The, the funny thing is, is that the team who actually is in better position to get really creative and float, try to get a guy to float down, is the Astros. 
The Astros pick two, the Astros pick five, and the Astros pick again, if I remember correctly, you've got the list up. They pick again before the Diamondbacks. They pick 37, yeah. They pick they pick three, which, the Diamondbacks pick once, and the Astros pick three times. Which, by the way, I will point out, as you've pointed out to me, if the Diamondbacks want to get creative and try to float a guy, then it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that they also have traded away a... They trade pick 75, and uh, you know, pick 75 itself doesn't matter so much if you're trying to get creative, but the money that they sent to the Braves, or that pick 75 represents, now belongs to the Braves. And I That money would help. Right, yeah. If you're trying to cut a deal, if you're trying to just acquire quality or a quantity here... Uh, then why why give up the last pick of day one? It makes no sense to me at all. But the Astros pick two, pick five, again, 37, you said? Yes. If you wanted to talk about a team that could potentially float a guy to their third, in their case, their third pick, the Astros are the team. Because for one thing, 37, they get to strike before many other teams. If anyone else is trying the floating theory, there aren't many teams that are going to have two picks bef- two picks before them. And again, because they pick two and five, right now we have we have Alex Bregman going them with pick two. We have Andrew Benintendi going them with pick five. We at one point last night at you know one in the morning, two in the morning. I, I think we had it. I was talking to John way too late last night. And we were talking about Benintendi maybe being two, and Bregman being five. We ended up flipping it. The idea being Benintendi is more likely to be there at pick five than Bregman. Whereas Bregman, if you don't take him at two. There is a chance that Bregman won't be there at five. We feel better that there's that Benintendi will be there at five. Whichever way you do it, especially though, say you took Benintendi too. Again, if you're Andrew Benintendi, you, you get picked two and you settle for a below deal, you know, below slot deal, it's still a great deal for you. Great deal. This is a player who uh, just a month and a half, two months ago, could have been thinking, of, it's like, hey, if I get two mil, I had, you know, it's a great draft for me. So, but whatever order they do that, they could have money. And there are players who, uh, there's a number of players who are going to be very interesting because we don't know what everyone, as you said, we, do, we have no idea right now, we're trying to figure out, but we don't know if we'll know before the draft what Brady Aiken's looking for. Um, you know, the player who went 1-1. We know the Astros will not be picking him because he, is, he is. He has the right, and he has exercised his right, or at least the Astros believe that he was going to exercise his right to uh, to not be picked by them again. But we have Justin Hooper came out yesterday and said, you know what, I'm intending to you know follow my commitment to UCLA. Daz Cameron, Daz Cameron, you know the the rumors are that he wants a, a pretty big deal, and the the number it, again when you hear a number floated before the draft, that doesn't mean that's the number that he's going to end up signing, you know, or you got it. That's a, actually a hard, fast line. But the numbers that you hear with Cameron are such that if he falls far at all, there, as you put it, if you get to the, even the, you know, pick 10 and on, it's going to be hard for a team to come close to that number unless they get creative. Uh, again, that would be a, a situation where a team like the Astros, it would be interesting to see. There's a lot of players who, they could, having three picks, there could be a player, very good player, sitting there at 37 for them. Well, the Astros have been tied to Daz Cameron a lot of the spring, and we know that uh, Jeff now went to see Daz Cameron. You know, we, know, we know that they, they have scouted Daz Cameron heavily and that, that they are believed to like him a lot, and uh, I think they wind up with, with him in this draft. You know, I know John has it playing out a little differently right now, but... Uh, you know, somehow I, I think they're going to wind up with Daz Cameron. Whether it's five or two, five, thirty-seven, I don't know how it's exactly it's going to play out, but I expect Daz Cameron to be an Astro by the end of the night. And uh, you know, that I, I was talking to somebody yesterday, and you know, I mean, we all were, and the it's all about with, with the Astros who they think they can get to their certain picks. So. You know, like you were saying, you know, Benintendi goes, you, we have Benintendi at five now because Bregman, if you didn't take him at two, might be gone. And, you know, so it's all, with that pick, it's all a matter of, um, you know, who you think you can get past the Rockies and the Rangers. It's not about the talent. You're not sitting here saying, no, we have to take a guy at two because he's a better guy on our board than five. When you pick two and five, you don't have to do that. No. You only have to get that guy past two more teams 
And, uh, you know, one of those teams is almost certainly going to take Brendan Rodgers. So as long as you're not talking about taking Brendan Rodgers, uh, you know, it, it becomes much simpler. Right. And not only that, but we do have to remember with the Astros. The Astros very much, and we've seen it. I mean, right now, their 2012 draft uh, looking very, very good. Well, what did they do in 2012? It was all about value. They got players they really liked, but they got Carlos Correa, and again, what Carlos Correa allowed them to do by signing him to a you know below slot deal is that then opened up that they got Lance McCullers and they got Rio Ruiz. And if you look at it right now, McCullers is in the rotation. Correa is making his debut, and Rio Ruiz was basically one of the key guys that they used to trade to get Evan Gaddis. Well done. Um, I think of that as Colin Moran. You know, <laughs> yeah, which I mean, uh, which wasn't that deal, but yes. You know, so, um, but yeah, that was a different deal. But, uh, but yeah, Teddy looked at me for a second like, you're screwing, oh wait, no, you're right. Okay, you know, that was one of those, you know, in podcasting, we would be able to edit that if I had screwed it up, but thankfully I didn't. Um, but you look at it and you say, what the Astros are going to do out of this is, is they're going to look at the totality of their picks. It's not going to be about getting, I, w- I would, I think we both agree, it's not going to be about getting a guy. It's going to be about getting the best portfolio of guys that they can. I mean, we've seen the Astros go at the one guy approach. I mean, they've done that too. Like, I, I the Mark Appel pick didn't cost quite as much as Chris Bryant, but they really seemed to zero in on Appel early on uh, that year. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, this draft, especially with the picks that they have and the kind of draft it is, sets up much better for them to, uh, you know, kind of return to the idea of. Uh, you know, the portfolio approach and looking to, just to get multiple guys and, and max, you know, it's all about maximizing in this system. It's all about maximizing the money that you're allotted. And this draft is very much a draft that there is no guy that you, I mean, there, there really does not feel like that there's any guy in this draft. This is a portfolio draft because if you are looking for a strength of this draft, it is much more in the depth of this draft than it is in any player, or any couple of players, or any five players. As many teams have said to me, I'm sure have said to you, the difference in this draft between pick one and pick 15 is not a whole lot. I mean, it's not, the the drop-off isn't that big, but it's not because it's that deep of a draft. The drop-off isn't that big because really, there are a whole lot of guys who feel like a great pick at pick 10. Right. And, uh, you know, these teams picking later... Uh, are are still in a position to take advantage of that. You know, even even if they don't have you know so many extra picks, you know, I mean, there are going to be guys that are going to fall, and there are going to be you know there are going to be you know guys that that they have high on their draft board that they that they're happy to see there, and you know that, that that's just going to be the way it is, and you know it's going to be a weird night, but uh, you know I think there, there's talent to be had. Everyone's everyone says there's talent to be had here. It's just a matter of you know finding a way to, to pick it at the right spot. We've talked about two of the key... I mean, obviously, if you pick 1-1, one, one, the Diamondbacks are... The Diamondbacks, what they do, will make a big difference for what happens in this draft, obviously. If you pick 1-1, one, one, that's happening. The Astros really do, in some ways... They have the keys to this draft in many ways, because when you pick 2-5, and five, everything is going to set up after that. And again, if any team out there can get creative and float a guy down, it would be the Astros. The third team to me, and may, I'll, I'll be interested to see if you agree or not, the third key team of this draft to me is the Braves. Oh, absolutely. The Braves are the other team that, when you look at it... They pick six times tonight. And that's tonight. We're not going to have a whole... I'll put it this way. I'm trying to think. Is there anyone who's not picking tonight? No. But we have teams that have one pick tonight. Yes. So The Mariners don't pick until 60. <laughs> so, you... The Braves have drafted like five times before. So... You do have the Braves, again, when you talk about, I I very much like kind of how the Braves are set up for this, not because they're going to get a guy, but because this is a draft where having six bites at the apple in the first day gives you, it's going to be a pretty massive talent influx. I mean, The Braves have $10.7 million in their pool. $10.7 million. and, And... I mean, that's nothing compared to the Astros, but they don't pick till 14. It's hard to have 10 million in your pool when you don't pick 
to 14. Real hard. But, so that's the other team. If you really are saying, like, okay, give me a quick thing to look for tonight. The, the teams that get cre can get creative. When you look at the Braves, the Braves, again, at 14, I don't think it's necessarily that they're going to look to cut a deal at 14 to save a lot of money to spend later on and try to float guys. The Braves are just going to be out there going, okay, we got a guy at 14, and now we got another guy, and now we got another guy, and now we got another guy. The Braves have no reason to cut deals. No. They look at it at the end of the night. They should be able to look at it and say, huh, okay, we really feel pretty good about the depth of, again, assuming these guys sign, we feel really good about the depth of our farm system. What they've done, what the Braves have done in the past year, past six months, nine months, really, you know, under the new regime, what they've really done is, is when we talk about portfolio approach, their portfolio approach is, is essentially, it's, you can't, it's hard not to make an analogy to the stock market. They have a lot of... Uh, they, they, they have a lot of high-risk stocks, but their idea is, is that much like they do on the, you know, we, okay, we've gotten in trouble with this with credit default swaps and all, but the idea is, is that if you have enough different pieces of risk, the, the total spread evens out. If you, if you have a lot of high-ceiling guys who have a lot of risk, some of them are going to flame out. That's fine. But some of them you're going to hit on, and if you hit on a few of these guys, all of a sudden you kind of gotten some difference makers in your, for your team. Well, that's where the Braves are going. And the Braves are going to add, be able to add a significant amount to what's already a pretty deep farm system right now. I know the Braves felt like, I don't remember where Baseball America had them coming into the season, largely because I wasn't here, uh, but the Braves felt like they had a top 10 farm system coming into the year. And after tonight, like it's only going to get better. I mean, assuming they sign these guys. You know, so yeah. Which again, I would say, in most cases, again, barring you know bad medicals or whatever, almost everyone we see picked tonight will sign. There will be a few guys tonight that don't sign. There always are. But for the most part, you see them picked tonight, they're going to sign. Right. They're, they're very rare is the guy who gets picked in the first round and says, you know what, I'm going to college. It's happened. It happens. It absolutely happens. I mean, we saw it happen last, well, we've we seen quite see it happen last, well, but we, it does happen. Right. We've had, I mean, we've got guys who will be drafted tonight who we've seen it happen with. Phil Bickford, you know, Brady yeah. Aiken. I mean, that's, you know, that's going to happen, but it's not going to happen very often. And the Braves are going to take a whole lot of guys who are going to, again, add very quickly to what's becoming. The Braves are now going to, before long, the Braves are going to be in a very interesting situation where, which is what you want as a team, is, is that evaluating your own personnel is going to become the key part for the Braves because you have to then sort through. The Astros are, have, are really just coming out of this, where the Astros had a multiple years where, and they had the advantage of they were awful. Which, when you're awful, it does make it easier. And you're not going to hit 100% on those. They they sorted through and they cast aside J.D. Martinez. And looking back on it, maybe that would have been better to keep him. But they also sorted through a lot of guys who you end up saying, okay, that guy's a role player. Okay, we can move on. You know, Alex Presley. I mean, I could, I don't even need to sit here and go, you know, <laughs> Alex Presley and uh, Robbie Grossman. And, you know, they, you could go, you sort through a lot of these guys. And then, but you, if you do it right, what you end up coming out of it with is, is you say, okay, hopefully we're going to hit on 80% of our calls on this. I'd say that's a good, a good hit rate. And then you come out of it and you say, okay, if we do that, that also gives us surplus to trade. At some point, the Braves are going to be in that position too. I, again, I, I do like a lot of what they've done, and I like a lot of how they've pointed to this draft. Yes, is this the greatest draft to do that for? I mean, in some ways, no, because it's not a great draft. Next year's draft looks way more interesting way of, it's way you know a lot can change between now and then but it sure looks more interesting more talented but any draft that you can have this much money allows you to do some stuff because once you get past those first five ten players a lot most of the time drafts generally look about the same there's always going to be intriguing guys there's always going to be guys who have upside that have to develop this draft has that Right, and frankly, I mean, the Braves, uh, we don't know how good they're going to finish, but they're playing really better well, than we... I mean, yeah, I mean, so, like, right now, they're not looking at being a top-five pick next no. year anyway. So, you know, I, like, I early early in this process, when they started acquiring these picks, I, I, you know, wondered, like, you know, okay, this draft isn't that great. Like, is is this the time to be doing this? But, you know, I, they've... They've positioned themselves very well, and uh, you know they're gonna they're gonna take advantage of it tonight in some way. Well, we don't even know what way, but uh, they're they are a team to watch tonight. Okay, well, on to some of the uh, 
some of the players. So, uh, I, I'll ask you, I'll, I'll kind of start with you. What, who is a guy that really stands out to you from the standpoint of like, you are, are, are pretty convicted on, okay, I, I think this guy's going to be a, a, a very good player. I, I really think that this guy, I, I guess the best way I put it is, is a guy who you may appreciate more than kind of the consensus viewpoint. Who, as John would put it, if you listen to the podcast, a personal cheese ball. Who's a personal cheese ball of Teddy Cahill's? I always find these uh, so difficult to pick, but uh, you know, I, I think you know if we ignore you know likely first rounders, like we try to do with the cheese balls. No, no, okay, I'll, we'll do a first. Uh, let's do a let's do a first rounder okay. cheese ball, and then we'll do an extra, a, a further than first round. If you want, while you're thinking of that, I'll give you one of mine. Well, My, no, I, I okay, I, I've got the first rounders. Okay. Uh, you know. Like uh, I mentioned, Des Cameron already. Uh, you are. He's a little divisive. Uh, I'm pretty. I'm pretty much in the, in the Daz Cameron will be good camp. But also, uh, you know, Cornelius Randolph uh, down there, with Daz Cameron in suburban Atlanta. Uh, you know, I think you know we have him in the best tools as being the best hitter in the high school class, and you'll find a lot of people that will say similar things about Cornelius Randolph, and yet I feel like he goes underappreciated uh, because he doesn't really have a position. He plays shortstop right now, but nobody thinks he can stay there, uh, and there's some question as to whether he's an infielder or not. Uh, but, you know, this is a guy that, you know, everybody talks about as being, you know, one of the best high school hitters in this class, and somebody's going to get that guy outside the top ten, it looks like, you know, maybe the Braves got him at 14, stay in their backyard like they're, they've been known to do in the past. You know, that's a really good player at, at 14, or wherever you get him. Uh, again, the, the most important tool is to be able to hit. If you can hit, we can generally, they can find a way, you know, find where you're going to play. If you can't hit, they're generally not going to find. F- they will find a spot for Pinos Randolph to play, whether it's third base, whether it's left field, and, whether it's right field. And there's some. Or, this, first base, we're not. We're, and we're not talking about a guy who's a first baseman. Like no. that's the one thing when you say with this, no. he really could be a third baseman. Right. Yeah, I, I, I I'm a fan too. I, again, the guy for me, um, I, I'm a. I think Trenton Clark. I think when we look back at this, he's not my guy. I'm going with. But I will say, from the area of the regions that I do, from like from Texas. The thing that comes out with Trenton Clark, he's been banged up a little bit and all that, but people who've seen Trenton Clark a lot keep coming back to, this guy really knows how to play. There's tools, and then there's kind of that, that feel and also that ability to elevate the game and all that. He seems to make people, you know, he, he's just a pure baseball player. That's one of the, that's why I'm a, I'm a big fan of Trenton Clark, but the guy I got to point out, you know, and we've talked about him already a little bit, but I do think that Andrew Benintendi, the knocks on him are knocks that don't worry me so much because of what of what stands out for him. Um, to me, with Benintendi, the knocks on him are is it's, it's a short track record. Andrew Benintendi has had an outstanding sophomore year at Arkansas. I mean, there's really there's not a lot of warts to it at all, and he continues to do it. He had a big weekend this weekend and helped them as as they advanced to the College World Series, but. When you look at Benintendi, so the knocks are short track record, and the other knock is is that it's hard to find guys who fit his exact prototype of what he looks like, who you say, okay, that guy, he looks like that guy. He's a little bit of a, a shorter guy. He's not a, he's a physical player, but he's physical from a little bit smaller package. And the way that scouts will describe it a lot of times is, is that you see him step in and take BP, and you go, wow, that's a loud BP. But you're kind of looking at him and going, well, where is that coming from? But he puts out a loud BP. He hits for power. Although you will find guys who say, you know what, I think it's 15 home run power. It's not 30 home run power. But he's a center fielder. He's a, but that's the thing. is, is The thing about him, though, is, is his tools. This guy is a center fielder. I mean, this is an up-the-middle player who's going to stay up the middle. This guy, for all we talk about track record, admittedly, it was Ohio. It's not exactly the greatest high school baseball in the world. but. Whoa. <laughs> I know. I, I, I wound Teddy. Native Ohio. Yes. But, you know, but he was a star there. He also was athletic. He also, it was not just baseball. He also was a very good basketball player. There's athleticism. He's an above average runner. You you look at it and you put it all together. And what you say is, is that 
this is the guy, if you look, we may look back at this five years, ten years from now and go, man, how did that guy fall to, to pick whatever spot he falls to? Because you look at the year he had, and you look at the tools, and really, it matches up well with anyone in this draft. When we talk about the, when we talk about, now they're up the middle guys and they have longer track records, but when we talk about Dansby Swanson and Alex Bregman, Benintendi's also playing the SEC, and the reality of it is, is if you look at it, Benintendi's had a better year than either of those guys. Now again, they're shortstops. He's a center fielder. You can give a little bit of a bonus for, for shortstop, but it's not a massive, because this is not a, we're talking about a left fielder versus a shortstop. I, I'm just, I'm a big Andrew Benintendi fan. So, fun Benintendi high school fact. In the Ohio State uh, High School record book uh, for hits in a season, he has three seasons that show up in the top 20. And, and he's, he's, he's their all-time two, career... They're number two all-time hit leader in Ohio, and... Uh, who, someone's passed him things. No, uh, Mark Lewis uh, in the 80s. Oh, first-round pick of the Indians. And uh, he is the career runs leader. I mean, his name's all over the record book. Uh, and... Potentially the Golden Spikes this year, and potentially the Baseball America College Player of the Year. I mean, I, I'll put it this way: I know way. nothing about that. I do know he was the SEC Player of the Year. And it's just a very, very, very loud season. A very loud season. It is. Again, there's, and this is a left-handed bat we're also talking about here. So when you you put it all together, I, I'll put it another way: if you want to talk about, I, I know it's short track record, but also guys who I feel are safe picks in this draft. It's kind of hard to figure out, much like Dansby Swanson. If you take Dansby Swanson, I, I really have trouble believing that whoever takes Dansby Swanson is going to look back on it and really regret it down the road. Right. You may look at it and go, yeah, that guy ended up being better. But you're not going to look back on it and go, man, we just got nothing out of that Dansby Swanson pick. Ben Intendi is also kind of in that same boat from the standpoint of guys who their floors are very high. Because, again, in both cases, you're talking about guys who are going to be up-the-middle guys who have performed at a very high level of college baseball. And, you know, the reality is is that we now there is still some calibration going on with how do we, you know, the new balls and all, they, there's more offense back in, in the college game and all that. But when you look at relative to other players, which is the best comparison you can make, both these guys stand out. So, okay, now on to your post-first-round cheese ball. Yeah, um... Well, I feel like I'd be remiss without mentioning Mac Marshall, who, uh... You're a much more cheese... Yeah, he's your cheese, but I'll let you have that one. Um, Nothing is Mac, but that's, <laughs> he's yours. He, uh, he fits the, the profile that I like of uh, left-handed with an above-average to plus changeup. And he's a starter. Um, but I also want to mention Austin Smith uh, from a crowded group of Florida high school arms. He stands out to me... Um, he, his velocity jumped up this season. He's probably pitching with a plus fastball now, uh, and he controls the ball really well. And he played, you know, he showed that when he played Team USA last fall. He's a little bit older, uh, just the youngest and oldest uh, players in this draft class just went up. Uh, I spent the weekend looking at who's the youngest and who's the oldest players, uh, you know, high school and college-wise in the draft. And, and Austin Smith is a little older. Uh, but I feel like that matters less with pitchers. Um, Absolutely. You know, the data definitely says that it matters more for, for position players. And, you know, Austin Smith is uh, he's just a little more polished than, than your average high school kid. And he's uh, he's got a lot to like. Um, and he he succeeded in Florida. And, that you know, I, I could talk about how great Ohio high school baseball is, but, you know, to do it in <laughs> South Florida is... Uh, I mean, that, that, that's, that's important. That means something. It does. And uh, you know, so I, I think in a, in a crowded, it, it's a really good group of uh, high school arms in Florida this year. Uh, it's hard to separate them, but I think Austin Smith, uh, for me, is, uh, is the guy that, that I would want to bet on, I guess. Two guys I'm going to go with are, are a pair of, uh, maybe you call them a little lower ceiling, but a pair of lower ceiling college uh, lefties who I think are going to move very quickly. Um, yeah, I've professed my, you know, my admiration for Michael Freeman, Oklahoma State's uh, ace this year, who, you want to talk about short track record, he kind of came out of nowhere to just dominate this year. And he does it with, if you ask me to just, you know, if I spell it out, it doesn't sound that great. 
uh, mid to high 80s fastball that is really booze. I mean, that's... but He's also the oldest college player on the BA 500. Yes. Oldest player on the BA 500 yes. period, obviously. Yes. Uh, this is, a, again, if you said, like, I, I think you could make an argument that if it wasn't for the fact that he played high school ball with the Oklahoma State pitching coach's son, that there's a decent chance that maybe he doesn't, you know, end up in D1. Because coming out of JUCO, there wasn't really a whole lot that says, hey, you know, sign this guy. But to give Rob Walton and Michael Freeman a lot of credit, you know, Oklahoma State dropped down his arm slot. And what they found is, is that, wow, that ball really moves. And so this year, he just basically played a game of wiffle ball with, uh, you know, with, with, with hitters. Put it, you, he could cut it, he could run it, he could sink it, he could, uh, he could do about anything with his fastball. You know, and again, high ceiling, no. Could a team want it, try to go send him out as a starter? Maybe, but I think much more likely he's a senior, as you would get, imagine for the oldest guy in the BA 500. He's going to sign you with a spoon for well below slot, which saves you money. He's a money saver. But he's a money saver that you draft because you like him, and then you send him out, and you can send him very easily out to, you know, again, this year you might have to be a little conservative with him because he did pitch a lot. But you send, you, you send him out as a reliever, and you could turn around next year and say this guy's in the big leagues as a lefty reliever who dominates lefty hitters with a – a, with the life on his fastball, the movement on his fastball, much more than the velocity. Along those same lines, another guy who fits a similar profile. If you're, if a team looks at the analytics, Matt Hall, the number two starter for Missouri State, is a guy, we, we're too low on him, my fault, in the BA 500. He's very divisive. He's another one of these divisive guys because if you look at what he doesn't do, you, you really want your, you know, a, a, a guy to throw a little harder than he does. Really, for him, it's it's about the breaking ball. The breaking ball is a plus pitch, but he did lead the uh, last I checked. He was leading in Division One in strikeout rate. You know, it or strikeouts. It's it's impressive. He did it. You saw it again this weekend. Uh, you know, in the uh, Super Regionals, he's going to go pretty well. Now the question again is, he going to start as a relief? I think he probably ends up being a reliever, and I think he ends up being a pretty good reliever. Again, that. It's not the sexiest pick in the world. You're not talking about this is the guy that's going to be drafted in the uh, third round who ends up being a uh, you know multi-time all-star. But I-, I think that's a guy who's going to go pretty well. And we look back on it and go, wow, that guy ended up being pretty good. I mean, he uh, he shoved this weekend against Benintendi in Arkansas, and he uh, he definitely helped his cause. He, this he shoved when John Harris, who's going to go better than him, we looked awful. Was not so good. You know that he again he he definitely helped himself. And he is one of the guys who jumps out to me that we're going to do a post later today of guys who we have to fix the BA 500 at some point, and it really lives best as a living, breathing organism that uh, with guys moving up and down continually, he's a guy who is up higher than where we have him. I feel very confident saying. Again, that's my fault. I do Missouri. I mean, somebody, somebody is going to draft him well, uh, whether or not he ends up you know, proving it or not, but somebody, somebody's going to draft that guy pretty well, you know, comfortably, are, comfortably in the top five rounds, very possibly in the top three rounds. Right. There are teams that really like him, and there are other teams. This is very much the draft. And this is the problem with the BA 500. It's supposed to be, you know, the industry consensus or, or, you know, something close to it, but there is no such thing this year, and that means that doing a ranking of 500, which is already very difficult, we, proved basically impossible. I mean, we hope it's, we still think it's a very valuable list, but it I is. Mean, I, like, uh, I like the list. But but the best way to put this is is that we have guys in the 500 who we've talked to scouts, and and you've talked to one scout, it's like, I like them, I like this about them, I like this about them. Not obviously in the 100, but in the 500, we have guys who then you talk to another scout and go, yeah, I didn't turn that guy in. So what you're saying is, is I mean, the, the way to realize this is, is that the BA 500, because we're trying to cast the net as far as the industry as a whole, we have guys on the BA 500. No team is going into this with a 500-person draft board because they don't need a 500-person draft board. They, they, you know, they don't need to have their top 700 lined up. We were, we've ranked now, I think, at Baseball America. By the end of the day, we'll be well over 1,000. I think we're over 1,000 right now on the draft map. There are 1,200 players that are going to get taken. Yeah, nobody, nobody's lining up 1,200 players. There's no need to because 
you don't need to say, okay, well, these are guys who are not going to take. We have guys on there who some teams are going to have them off because of medical, but other teams don't. There are guys on there, again, what's become much more convoluted now is, is with the new system is we've tried to put a bit, a little bit more emphasis on the valuable senior, the guy who... Well, I think there's also something to the idea that uh, Hudson floated last week, uh, Hudson Bolinski, that uh, you know maybe senior, maybe the senior class is better. Maybe that's going to be a thing going forward. Maybe it's just a this year thing. But there's some. Good this is a really good year. senior class. Yeah. I mean, we you know this is a a senior class where there's a lot of guys who I'm like, man, if you said to me, would I rather have that senior and save money on slot for someone else, or would I rather have a junior? Uh, give me the senior. There's a number of those guys who are very intriguing. Um, it's again. It's going to be a fascinating draft. We'll have a lot more. Uh, you can if you hop on to baseballamerica.com right now. Don't worry. You will uh, very comfortably can get be reading all day to get you ready for the draft. We have a, a wonderful 50-year uh, history of the draft by Alan Simpson, who um, really probably <laughs> I, you know if you said who is the person who played a larger role. Uh, you know, in the outside of the industry to get the draft on TV than anyone, it'd be Alan Simpson. Because Alan Simpson always believed, he's the founder of Baseball America, and Alan always believed that the draft was a big deal, the draft was important, and the draft should be something that people in baseball follow. If you're interested in baseball, you should follow the draft. He believed that. That seems now like that's obvious. Alan believed that at a time when no one, almost no one in the industry believed that. Alan believed that at a time when you go back to the 80s and there was a time when because Baseball America was covering the draft well enough, MLB said, you know what, we're going to make the draft secret. And so there was a stretch of time where Emma, where Major League Baseball said, you know what, we're not going to tell, and they at the time said, ever, who was drafted in what rounds. And there was drafts where actually players would get called and said, hey, the this team has taken you. And you would talk to the scout, and you go, well, what round did you take me? And the scout would say, I'm not allowed to tell you what round we took you in. Okay, well, here's our offer. And the player at the time would have to know, okay, I've been offered this much money. I don't know if they took me in the second round. I don't know if they took me in the 25th round. Makes it a little hard to negotiate. Well, Alan was the one who was then like, hey, by the way, we're going to figure out, and we found it out. And so eventually MLB capitulated and said, okay, we will announce what rounds players were drafted in. And then you look about it, you look back 10 years, 15 years later, and finally, you know, there started to be the realization, well, maybe actually this is good for the game that we publicize the next stars of the game rather than just try to kind of hide it and make it secret. And that was really, that was Alan's dream. when To see the, the, the draft be on in prime time, you know, where everyone can watch it, to see it be... I know it's never it's never going to be as big a deal as some of the other drafts because well it's coming from a, a the starting point is so much different you know Pete Rozell starts the NFL draft and is like let's make this as public as possible whereas you know baseball that, report, this this was going on baseball was making the draft secret like we're not going to tell you who was picked at the time when the NFL draft was already on you know as a broadcast on ESPN so I mean baseball just ha has. It's starting from a much much lesser point, you know. It's still in, the broadcast is still in its infancy, and uh, you know maybe it never does grow to where they hold it in Grant Park and Mel Kiper rocks sunglasses and uh, you know it, it like he's a rock star on TV. But you know it, it, at some point, you know I, we're seeing growth in interest of the draft, and it, that's going to continue because you know we're we're starting from such a small small interest Absolutely. point that it. All it can do is grow stuff. But the other part of that is, is that we are also in an era where, again, and I've talked about this, the draft becomes more important, more and more important for a couple of reasons. One, PED testing and everything, what that does mean is it is a young player's game. I mean, you do not see what you saw in the, the late 90s, you know, where 35-year-olds are still the best players in the game. It, it doesn't happen nearly as often now. It really pretty much doesn't happen. It's a young player's game. And we also are in the era where I do believe that it is that every part of this is done better than it used to be. When you look at right now, when you look at, okay, as we tweeted out last night, 10 players of our preseason BA top 100 prospects, top 20, are in the big leagues now. And 
Now, now again, some of them may wash out, but you're already seeing. Chris Bryan is making an impact. Jock Peterson's making an impact. I can pretty much promise you, in some way, shape, or form, Carlos, Carlos Correa is going to make an impact. It's been a week, and I, again, I don't think it's, he's even necessarily up for good, but Joey Gallo is making an impact. This is happening over and over. Bryce Harper is still, you know, it wasn't that long ago we were talking about Bryce Harper in this podcast room. It wasn't that long ago we were talking about Mike Trout. It wasn't that long ago. These players you're seeing, again, this 2012 draft, the 2013 draft, are already making impacts. Kyle Schwarber was drafted not that long ago. We were talking about him. Carlos Rodon is in the big leagues. Carlos Rodon from last year's draft is making an impact. All these players, the draft is not something where you say, okay, okay, well, let me, hopefully I'll hear back about that guy in seven years. And there's still people who have that mindset that it's like, oh, well, you know, when you say, you know, I had people say to me last night when I said, Carlos Correa is going to be the face of the Astros and it's not going to take very long. They're like, how can you say that for a guy who's yet to play a big league game? Well, this is what we do. I mean, again, I'm not saying that we won't be wrong on this, but this is why we talk, this is, this is, Carlos Correa is one of those guys. The Astros are quite confident that Carlos Correa is going to be one of those franchise-changing type players. They're not even trying to, to play that down. They understand that. We see this all the time. And But the other part of this is, is that the new system, the new CBA, is crafted in a way, it really does make a big difference when it comes to the parity, the, the churn that we see, which I think is a good thing. Right now, if you look at it, the Astros, after being in the desert of despair for many years, are leading the AL West, and they look like they're going to be there. This is not something where I don't know if they're going to have you know be play as well over the final three four months of the season as they have the first couple, but they're going to be a contender for a long time. The Cubs are are you know are going to be a contender for a long time. We've seen the Pirates rise up. We've seen the Royals rise up. This system now, I really do believe, and I want to get your opinion on it, Teddy, but what free agency is not really a, uh, a great way for teams to really build success now, even if you have money, from the simple standpoint of so many teams lock up guys or at least buy out a year or two that you're buying guys in many cases for really expensive deals just at the point where you go about three years into that deal, you go, wow, this guy's not really worth this money anymore. If that being the case... And we now have a draft system and an international spending system largely, which will get probably even tightened down more going forward, where if you are bad, you're going to have a lot more money to spend in player acquisition, young amateur ac- talent acquisition, than a team that's good. Well, what that means is is year after year is, is that we're going to continue to see the cycles of teams. If you're bad, there's a way to get good. It's not something where you're going to be stuck in the gutter for 20 years. I mean, theoretically, you know, you, have, you still have to draft well. Right. But if you're you know, inept, you're. But there aren't many inept teams anymore either. Well, uh, there are a few, but there are not many. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, the the draft and, and prospects. You know, you feel like this winter we heard about prospects being overvalued again, like we often do. But you know, I, that, that's how that's cost young, cost controlled players in the big leagues remain the most valuable commodity, and you. It's very difficult to get those from other teams. So you have to develop them yourself. And how do you get them? You get them in the international market and you draft them. So, I mean, that's why, to ma- that's why tonight matters because these guys are the next young, controllable assets that every team wants that you can buy free agents or you can trade you know, for, uh, for a star, but like, you still have to have that core come from within. You know, if you look at playoff teams, they're built in any number of ways. The A's trade mm-hmm. for everyone, the Cardinals promote everyone from within, and you have every every combination in between. But it all starts with young, controllable players, and tonight, that is where you get those players from. The, the best way I can put it is, is, let's look back over the last 10 years. How many... I, What is the last team that really went out and just bought a title from the standpoint of they weren't... The Yankees in 2009, I guess, is right. probably what everyone would say. Maybe one of those Red Sox teams. Right. And even with the Red Sox, it's like you can kind of... It's a halfway. Like, there there was some very clever talent acquisition from the standpoint of, of lesser... But the free agent market, there's just not much on it. Now, this is going to be a great free agent year. But there's just not that many guys on the free agent market in an average year 
that really, when you look at those contracts, you always know you're going to overpay. I mean, that's, that's how it works. And if you look at it, it again, the draft, you're, the money that we are talking about, when we talk about that the Braves have $10 million for their draft pool, $10 million in the draft pool, like if you look at, if they hit on two guys, the money that they will spend on that is so inconsequential compared to spending $10 million on the open free agent market. I don't even know what that would get you. I mean, that's, that, that, that again, get you nothing. if you do the formulas, that would get you less than two war. Yeah. Well, you should be able to get more than two war out of a draft where you have this many picks in the top. Yeah, again, that's where this, that's why all this is important. And that's why this is all fascinating, and that's why we enjoy this so much, even when we uh, haven't had a whole lot of sleep. We hope you've enjoyed this. We will be back all day in many, many, many ways. We'll be on Twitter. Uh, Teddy, what's your Twitter handle? At Ted Cahill. Mine's at JJCoop36, at Baseball America, at John Manuel BA. Uh, Hudson's, I forgot off the top of my head, I don't want to get the wrong handle, but... Um, there will be on draft, you know, we'll be it's at Hudson Belinsky. It's a little hard to spell, but it's at Hudson Belinsky. Think Bo Belinsky and put Hudson like the Hudson River in front of it. Um, as Bo Belinsky is actually his Twitter avatar for that, if you're looking for him. Um, but, uh, but we'll have uh, stuff at baseballamerica.com all day. We'll There's be already to... <laughs> more than you can handle. I mean, the, the BA 500 went up last week. John's mock draft is already up. It'll probably be updated later. Alan Simpson's draft history is up. The youngest and oldest is up already. I mean, the draft map, which uh, the draft map is up. we have over a thousand players ranked for this draft. Oh, and by the way, I think my SBA just went up. Which, by the way, this that is, is a up. that's a fascinating thing. Is is just imagine an alternate universe where you couldn't sign players out of high school. The SEC tournament would have been insane this year if everyone actually had showed up as as they were committed to. You would have had the best group of shortstops in college we've ever seen. But that's all for you can go to baseballamerica.com and read that. For Teddy Cahill, I'm J.J. Cooper. Thanks for the download, and we will talk to you soon.